the Santon Time Studios in Africa's richest square mile. This is the Santon Times Podcast with your host, Alexander. Yes, we're back again. Good day to you wherever you are. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. It's the Santon Times Podcast, episode 45, week 12. And can you believe it? we're almost at the end of March? As we kick off, I want to remind you, if you want to get in touch with this podcast, you can email editor at santantimes.co.za. You can connect with us on social media at Santon Times, and our blog is almost ready. I know I say this every week, but this time it is almost ready. We're hoping to get it going in April. It's looking fantastic. We're doing the last tweaks and changes to it, but uh, I think it'll serve you well and it'll serve Santon even better. Don't forget you can subscribe, share, and leave a review and rating for this podcast on uh, your favorite podcast platform. If it's Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, I mean, there's sort of eight different platforms that you can catch this podcast on, and I encourage you to do one of those things. Actually, do all of them. If you haven't done any of them, take a second, do it right now. It really makes a big difference, and uh, yeah, we always welcome you spreading the word and growing our Santa Nation. So... Talking about Santon Nations, I'd like to welcome you wherever you're listening, if it is in Santon or Greater Santon, but also we've got a great international audience. So if you were listening in Zambia, the United States, Canada, France, Ireland, the UAE, or the UK last week, thank you so much, and all is well in Santon land. You're part of the Santon Nation if you're listening to this podcast. Now, I have to apologize right up front to all our regular listeners and subscribers. So last week, our podcast didn't go out, and for good reasons. We were battling load shedding like you do not understand. It was absolutely ridiculous. Big shout out to ESCOM and everyone working there. You guys are such champs. The fact that you cut off our power all the time at odd hours, sometimes it sticks to the schedule, sometimes it doesn't, it makes it absolutely impossible to try and run a digital media business when you don't know if you've got power or not. Really, I can't stand this. This cannot be happening for the third time. And it's not one of those things you can just plug a, a solar panel into. Our interviews were messed up last week. We were struggling to reconnect with people afterwards. It takes down the Wi-Fi. It takes down everything. And I don't want to come across as like a like a moaning Simon. And sorry to all Simons out there. But honestly, there is only so much you can do. So I'm really sorry we didn't have a podcast last week. Hopefully you got to listen to the previous weeks. But I've got a jam-packed podcast lined up for you this week, which will make up for last week. So hopefully that'll be the last of it. And uh, may load shedding not come back to us anytime soon, because I know it's impacting so many people. I've been chatting to so many uh, businesses, business owners, business leaders, and they're just saying, you know, it wreaks havoc in their businesses. And I don't know how we're going to get back on our feet economically if we can't even get power right, never mind everything else that we're having to deal with. Uh, Big shout out to the team at ASUS. They uh, took us for a round of golf last week. Really great to be out again. Haven't played golf in about 18 months, uh, but, uh, you know, wouldn't say I'm a pro, but uh, enjoy a good round of golf. And uh, the Johannesburg Country Club is looking absolutely fabulous. We got a chance to uh, chat technology and uh, play a little bit of golf in between, which was really great. And uh, yeah, last week there were a whole bunch of other things on the go as well, which we'll uh, get to in a, in a few minutes. Also, a big thank you to all those that are willing to provide some feedback who get in touch. Slowly but surely, I see the ice is melting. We're cracking those layers. Don't be shy. Get in touch. Big shout out uh, to Andre and Sarah, who enjoyed uh, the last uh, episode of this podcast. And thank you for, you know, dropping a line, whatever it is, you know, if it's on social media, if it's on the email, uh, wherever you feel most comfortable, it's always good to hear from you and to get your feedback. So coming up on this week's episode, the Cape Winelands Airport is taking shape and it's deemed to be the Lanceria of Cape Town. We chat to those spearheading the project to get all the details. Then Santon Central rolled out AI-equipped cameras a few months back and uh, the results have been interesting. We chat to the Santon Central management for more. And if you've ever chosen Zimbali as your regular getaway, you'll be interested to hear that it will be changing ownership. Uh, We chat to the new owners about this and other hotel acquisitions they've got planned. Stay listening. And finally, she started her eatery empire right here in Santon and she's about to launch a new menu. We catch up with the powerhouse behind Tasha's. But first, it's time to grab your news to go. Right, kicking off this week's news to go, uh, there was water shedding in uh, Santon, and I don't know, 
well, we're going to find out if this is still going on or not. But uh, Santa number one and Santa number two were impacted by water restrictions. Now, it's very difficult to understand what Santa number one and Santa number two is. We all know what Chanel number five is. We don't know what Santa number one or Santa number two is, but this is what Johannesburg Water sent out. Uh, I know for a fact that we were impacted and had no water for uh, a wee bit uh, over the last couple of days. Randwater has indicated that their distribution network is currently under severe pressure, whereby the water demand consistently exceeds the water supply. Uh, the story goes that the water entity requested Johannesburg Water to implement their water restrictions to prevent a situation where both supply systems collapse and Johannesburg Water has responded by restricting many of its reservoirs by 20 to 45%. Some areas fed from key reservoirs that have been restricted will experience low pressure to no water, especially high-lying areas, and some will not be affected at all. And it's not quite clear how long the situation will go on for, but uh, isn't that exciting? So we've got load shedding, we've got uh, pandemic stages, and then we might even not have water. Uh, Good times in Santon. Then Nelson Mandela Square has got a new clock. Various news outlets are reporting on the new clock that has been installed at Nelson Mandela Square. The clock has been heralded as the largest in the Southern Hemisphere. But as our latest post on the Santon Times blog will reveal, the clock at Central do Brasil in Brazil, Rio de Janeiro, at a size of 20 meters in diameter, is in fact the largest of all clocks this side of the equator. Be that as it may, the Nelson Mandela Square clock is situated directly behind the Nelson Mandela statue overlooking the square, comprising of diamond hour pieces, translucent numerals with satin black and gold finishes. And it's also got an LED light to create a unique halo while illuminating the clock at night. Most of the elements for the clock were fabricated from aluminium, including 47 meters of aluminium welding. It also features ambient lighting and delicate chimes. More on the story will be on the blog in April. So check out santantimes.co.za. Then there's a new spa that has opened at the Radisson. Uh, It's called The View by 27 Pinks. And it has opened at Laco Isle. That's a building uh, that is home to the Radisson Blue Hotel Santon and is uh, a new spa under new management which is great. And it offers an array of exclusive treatments and an oasis full of tranquility to both day visitors and hotel guests. We had a chance to check it out and uh, the facilities include Rizul Chambers, Vichy Showers, a halogen salt therapy room with sodium chloride generator, dry sauna and heated Roman bath with a 180 degree view of the city. Now that halogen salt therapy room is quite interesting because it's basically a room, it's got these really nice lounges and you go in there and the whole floor is sort of like an ocean of salt. I believe it's a Lithuanian salt or something along those lines, quite exotic. And you can lie in this room and supposedly it it, it nourishes your skin and it helps you sleep better and it's got all kinds of amazing sort of healing qualities, I suppose, as, as salt does. And they kind of almost uh, disintegrate the salt and it gets pumped through this pump into the air. So you can't taste it or feel it, but it's it's there, sort of omnipresent in the room. So yeah, 40 minutes in that room can do you wonders. And we've also done a great story on that uh, on the blog, uh, which will be up in, in April. Then Maserati and Santon have uh, brought a striking blue Infinito Maserati MC20 uh, to Nelson Mandela Square in Santon. I took a quick photo. It's uh, the brand's new super sports car debut in South Africa. And uh, they celebrated by having a swanky gathering at uh, a private viewing session for guests and uh, some select media at the Maserati house in Bryanston. The purpose of the visit is that the MC20 has gone through rigorous testing, completing hot weather testing schedules in the Northern Cape and elsewhere in South Africa. The MC20 is expected to arrive in South Africa in Q4 of 2021, and uh, it's got some incredible uh, engine power. It goes from 0 to 100 kilometers in under 2.9 seconds, top speeds are over 325 kilometers an hour. Once again, we're doing a great story on that on the blog, so go check that out. And then the police have advised of car hijacking and there's some hotspots. So the hotspot that they've pointed out is the corner of Ravonia and Wittkoppen Road, which is just down... uh, uh, if you go down Ravonia towards Sunning Hill, it's as you pass underneath the highway bridge, you kind of get to that intersection, if you know where that is. They've recorded three incidents in the past month uh, that have taken place 
uh, during the day between 9 a.m. and 1 p.m. on a Wednesday and Thursday. So uh, they haven't picked up any specific trends with regards to car models or car types, but uh, they've just asked everyone to be cautious and uh, they are continuing their efforts to trace and arrest the car hijacking uh, suspects. Another hotspot that they've also advised Woodmead and Buclue Interchange. Uh, there's also been some reported incidences there and once again also taking place on a Tuesday and Wednesday between 1pm and 9pm. The police have asked everyone to stay vigilant, be careful when you stop at these interchanges or stops and uh, yeah, just keep your eyes open. And that's your news to go for this week. The latest news. The biggest names. The best destinations. The hottest entertainment. This is the Santon Times Podcast. There's a new airport coming online, and uh, when I heard the story, I thought, well, this is going to be interesting. Uh, it was deemed to be the Lanseria of Cape Town, and for those of you who travel frequently between Johannesburg and any other destination in South Africa, you know that Lanseria is a very popular option as a secondary option to OR Tambo, because... It's easy to access. It's a small airport. Uh, some might argue that flying out of Lanseria is a little bit more cost-effective than flying out of OR Tambo due to the landing fees and all the related costs. So when somebody proposed the idea of uh, creating something similar in the Cape region, I thought, well, this sounds like an interesting idea. And the people behind it uh, are businessmen Rob Hersoff and Nick Ferguson. And uh, Nick joins me on the line uh, right now. And uh, Nick, just to kick this conversation off about creating an airport, uh, a secondary airport in the Cape region, region. Uh, is this a childhood dream come true or just a great business opportunity? It's a great business opportunity and it's a, it's not a childhood dream for me, but you know, having call it stumbled across, across this opportunity, it's, it's extremely exciting to, you know, to, to look forward to it. So you know, I'm learning about it. I'm not from a, an aviation background and chartered accountant and a you know, property developer. So we, we're having to learn. Rob, on the other hand, is, you know, had an immense amount of experience in aviation, you know, starting, founding airlines, doing private jets. And you know, you know, his dad is still like the, uh, 94 and, and flying. So he's got aviation in his blood. Well, it sounds like a perfect marriage. I mean, finance and somebody who's got a bit of background in aviation. And it is quite a sexy business to be in, even if the last year didn't make it feel like that because travel has taken a bit of a knock. But it must be one of those exciting projects to work on uh, that you look back on sometime when, you know, you're older in life and you think, wow, you know, we, we set up an airport and uh, it's still going. It is, it is exciting. You know, this airport was or has been around since 1943. It was built by the Allied forces in the Second World War, specifically for uh, Lockheed bombers to protect the shores of Cape Town. So, you know, it's, it's not a new airport. It's, a, it's an existing airport that's been around you know, for a long time. It was in government ownership till 93. And then in 93, when with the end of apartheid, it was put out on tender and was bought by an individual and we bought it off him. So we the second private owners of this airport in close to 80 years that it's been, um, been running. So yes, it's, it's very exciting. In terms of capacity, I mean, you've just mentioned the, the Lockheed now. Uh, I just had a quick squiz here and I see that the, the largest uh, plane to land at the airport was a Lockheed C-130 Hercules, which is a, a hell of a big plane. <laughs> Especially, I mean, you're going to have to have uh, landing strips of steel there to, to handle that kind of weight. What kind of planes are you anticipating uh, landing at this, uh, at this airport? Building an airport is a process. When we talk about building the second Lanseria of Cape Town, we're saying we're going to build a second airport and we're going to have ambitions to build it up to what Lanseria is to Joburg, you know, over time. These things take time. We've got great infrastructure in the ground. We've got four runways, currently, cross runways, um, up to 1,500 meters. And when they built things in, in the 40s, they actually did it properly. You know, those days... When they were building, they, they did it properly. So it's been neglected over the years in terms of some of the buildings and the, and the, the vegetation and the landscaping and the surface of the runways. We plan to choose the right runway, fix up those runways, and then phase approach. So the first phase will be focusing on general aviation. For those of you who don't know what general aviation is, general aviation is is everything other than commercial aviation, so mainly scheduled flights. You know, that's private planes, charters, 
crop spraying. We will, you know, we're hoping to do scheduled, but you know, with smaller plays to start. With a runway of uh, 1,500 meters, you can, you're not going to be able to land the, the lulas and the, the mangoes yet. If you put it in perspective, if you look at London City Airport, and that's got a 1,500 meter runway, and they're flying all over Europe. So, you know, we will focus primarily on South Africa in the scheduled in time in the scheduled environment, take, uh, taking people to Beth, Durban, Bloemfontein, Joburg. You know, Joburg, Cape Town is actually the 10th or 11th busiest individual route in, in the world. I don't know if you, you know that. So it's, it's, it's an it's a extremely busy route. And, and practically, we live on an island here in Cape Town. You might as well be on an island because you can't get here or leave here unless you fly. So if you want to come down and with the dancing girls and the... Uh, <laughs> Come down to our island here in Cape Town. Well, listen, I mean, it's never hard to sell Cape Town. Uh, I mean, especially with the winelands and the beaches and the great weather. I know uh, there's probably quite a few people sitting in Europe right now that are uh, licking their lips uh, and can't wait to get back uh, to that scenic place that we call Cape Town. That's just around the corner from from, from us. Do you, have you had any sort of early takers or phone calls from some of the big airlines? I mean, you've mentioned them now who've said, listen, you know, if you get this together, if you've got a big enough uh, runway, we're keen to, uh, to sign up and be one of the first to land at uh, at this new airport? So we are chatting to some of the airlines so we can actually you know, land them there, the bigger ones. You know, it's not feasible to even talk to them, but the main focus would be on fixed space operators, charter flight flights, you know, private corporate jets, that sort of thing. Those, all of those type of things we can land. And then, and then charter. So... As well as the smaller planes. So, so if you if you look at something like Airlink or what SA Express was, or or West Air from Namibia, you know those type of smaller planes we can accommodate, um, but not not the the bigger plane um, seven, 737s and the like. Well, Nick, it was also a very popular set for quite a few sort of uh, streaming shows, uh, movies, TV series, uh, um, you know, in the past. Is that still something that you'll be able to accommodate going forward? Because it must be quite difficult having to sort of almost bring a working airport to a halt uh, to accommodate, uh, you know, a dramatic movie scene from, you know, something, you know, that Hollywood would put onto onto a screen. In the past, I've done um, drag racing down some of the... uh, you know, some of the runways that um, they had a, a series, a motor series, BBC did a, a channel on it where, I don't know, it was about six or seven episodes of cars. But we actually, we, we don't want to do that because that is a distraction from what we're trying to achieve. And in some ways, it's easy money to let a, you know, let a car come race his car down one of the unused you know, runways, but it's a, it's... It's a distraction, and it's and it's yeah, and it doesn't send out a good image to people when you're trying to build an airport and you're running yeah, south and stuff like that. So the airport is running already. I mean, it's not like it's been shut down. I mean, it is running on on a small scale at this point. Yes, it is. It's uh, we've got six thousand square meters of buildings there. We we hang about thirty odd planes. We've got a flight school with you know, multiple students coming in and out. So if you go there any, any day, there's, there's planes taking off and landing you know, all the time. You know, one of the benefits of this airport is its, you know, its location. It's directly adjacent to the general aviation zone. It's away from Cape Town International. It's close enough to the northern suburbs as a whole. Um, move north in Cape Town, you know, we need, because we're close by the sea, really, the, the only way that the city can develop is north. We're attracting people from the north, and um, yeah. Well, wonderful, Nick. I wish you all the best with the, this venture. As you said, it's going to still take a little bit of time to scale it up and uh, to get it to probably where you want it to be in, in a few years' time. But I look forward to uh, picking up my first ticket that says uh, Johannesburg Cape Winelands Airport. Uh, I, I suppose, I don't know, what would the abbreviation be? CWA, or I don't know what your IATA... Uh, yeah, through the CAA, it's, it, they all airports are, are started with the letters FA. We are now FAWN, on Winelands. We try to get FAST fast, but uh, that one was taken by someone else. Uh. 
Well, I see your marketing hat is on, and I think that would have been a great one, but <laughs> you have to go with, uh, I suppose, what is available. But I look forward to that ticket uh, one day and uh, and seeing what the airport is like once uh, you know we get to land there. So, Nick Ferguson, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, and all the best with uh, the new airport. Thank you very much. We look, to, look forward to seeing you down there. This is the Santon Times Podcast. Follow us on social media. So there's some interesting new information that's come out. Uh, for those of you who've been in and out of Santon Central would have noticed there's this uh, really interesting network of cameras that popped up on intersections. And at first, I was a bit confused as to, you know, if there's a, some sort of new e-block watch uh, concept that's launching or if there was some sort of other sort of traffic plan behind these cameras. Well, they're for the safety and security of those in and around Santon. And I think there's no better person to speak to and a highly overdue conversation uh, than Elaine Jack. Uh, she she looks after Santon Central and uh, what they call the Santon Central Management District. So, then tell us a little bit more about this uh, camera network that you've got set up in Santon Central. And I see you've brought out some great results as well. Yes, started uh, our partnership with uh, Bumacam. Um, as you know, they've put up uh, these uh, pole infrastructure in, in the uh, precinct um, very early uh, 2019, 2020. Um, and uh, they then, of course, approached the precinct, and uh, we were at that point also looking for a CCTV monitoring solution for the precinct. And uh, you know, as any um, world-class city, we we really want to make sure that those who are visiting our Phantom CBD are feeling safe. And in August. 2020 last year, we officially signed on and partnered with Bumacam for uh, 278 cameras for the entire scope of uh, the surveillancing of the entire precinct. That that also then brought on um, uh, our monitoring uh, team, uh, which is through AI surveillance. And then, of course, a uh, response team uh, which was appropriate to to respond to things that we pick up through the camera system. Uh, so that is our tactical team through Night Guard and, of course, Survey. From, from what I gather, these are not just passive cameras. So these are not sort of cameras that just capture what's happened once something has happened. Uh, there's also an active element there as well. So they, they have some sort of artificial intelligence that picks up a situation as it develops. Yes. So like all first world countries, you know, uh, we're all trying to be smarter in, in things that we do. So yes, the, there is, of course, the AI software both to recognize license plate recognition and, of course, abnormal behaviors in the public space, such as like gatherings and things like that. So, so that would then automatically alert the person sitting behind the screen. Because, you know, traditionally, it's a whole lot of cameras in front of somebody, almost hoping somebody will pick this up through looking at 20, 30 cameras. But now uh, AI has come to a point where they will be screening uh, all the license plates that come through. And obviously, they check it against a database that is obviously uh, marked as suspicious. And, and then uh, automatically, the screen comes up and alerting the uh, monitoring agent that a vehicle of a suspicion has passed a camera at this particular intersection. It almost somehow tries to determine, to, to actually predetermine the direction of the vehicles going and then obviously hoping the, inter, the, the, the team that's supposed to respond could intercept correctly. So when we talk about Santon Central, how, how big are we talking about here? Like what, for people who are not familiar with sort of that, that core of Santon, what, what are sort of the boundaries there? Uh, so our boundaries start at uh, Grayston and Ravonia, uh, and then uh, it goes down Grayston um, uh, towards Santon Drive, and then up Santon Drive towards Santon City, to ca- uh, passing down to Catherine Street and West. And then, um, of course, it does include um, uh, from from Grayston and Ravonia down to to, to Fredman, um, and uh, that really is the core uh, CBD that uh, you know as it is. So you've made uh, 85 arrests, if I've got that correctly, in the last six months. Uh, what kind of crimes are we talking about here? Is this sort of people loitering around, or you know, sort of throwing 
a litter or are we talking about something a bit more serious as well? So actually, now that we've also uh, part of uh, the Bomacam system, it actually is looking at a more of uh, a macro uh, security system now because obviously we're part of a bigger network of cameras. So a lot of these people in arresting are actually not crime that's actually committed in Sandton. Actually, has been um, crime reported at various uh, uh, offices that have case numbers. And when in passing that they come through into Sandton, we automatically pick that up through the network of cameras that Bomacam has set up. So although the number of uh, arrests that we've made has increased, we never used to uh, report such high numbers of arrests in the precincts. Uh, we are now contributing to the whole macro crime fighting community, you know, contributing to arresting, you know, criminals that have been um, in, in the, uh, not necessarily operating in Santon, but has already committed in elsewhere, but now have passed through the Santon borders, and we are able to assist FAC uh, in arresting suspects. So in terms of the number of arrests, we had never ever um, actually reported such high numbers in the past uh, because we've always just relied on uh, human memory to, to remember, okay, this possibly is a suspect vehicle. But, uh, you know, because of now the, the AI system in the background and also our uh, collaboration with the SAP and also having access to their database of reported cases uh, throughout the SAP database, we are able now to assist them in, in, in arresting suspects that pass through our cameras in, in the space. I mean, I know Maud Street at one point had quite a few sort of cell phone grabbings happening where sort of uh, cars would pull up and somebody was busy on their phone and they'd just bought lunch somewhere and were not sort of paying attention as to what was going on and suddenly, you know, someone would just grab their phone, jump in the car and they were gone. Is a lot of that still happening? Did you manage to make any arrests around that as, uh, you know, as these cameras have been rolled out? Yeah, so so yes, uh, cell phone snatchings has, has been a, a big trend um, uh, from a, a crime point of view in our CBD. Um, we have been lucky, obviously, because of the pandemic, there has been a low level of activity in, in the space from a pedestrian movement point of view. But uh, definitely, I think, with the successful arrest that we've been making, there has been also second thoughts. For, for criminals to try and operate in the space. So our numbers have also dropped drastically. It could be a combination because of the low activity in the space, but also because of the successes of the arrest uh, being made, uh, you know, uh, criminals are also wary that uh, they have a higher chance of being caught through these cameras because you also pick up loitering as an as a, as a abnormal activity as well through our AI services. Uh, uh, intelligence as well. So now that uh, Santon has been on lockdown, like you mentioned, it's been uh, very quiet. The streets uh, at some point were very empty. Uh, you know, a lot of people might see this as an opportunity to kind of you know do a little bit of uh, uh, unwelcome shopping uh, at, at some offices or at some stores. Uh, did you have any sort of uh, interesting incidents that happened during lockdown or was it literally something that just also kept the criminals at home? Yeah, I I think uh, it's part and parcel a bit of each in that, yes, activities also have been low, but uh, those who did try were, you know, we were able to, to, to dispatch the team early enough because it's also that they would not be committing those crimes when they see that teams are responding to them uh, very quickly and that, uh, you know, we vigilant and we're actually dispatching the team early enough uh, through the early warning system. Uh, and um, so far, you know, we've been quite lucky that uh, there really has been very little reported cases um, of, of in the public space um, uh, with regards to uh, crime incidents in the space. Now, I know that the, we're down on level one now, and there was also a bit of an announcement from Santon Central to say, like, you know, Santon's open for business again, and uh, we're seeing quite a few people taking advantage of sort of staycations where they're kind of coming to Santon Hotels and having a bit of a holiday uh, of some sort. As Santon starts opening up again now, we're seeing some of the hotels opening up again. Are you and your team 
sort of putting any particular plans or any measures in place as we see things getting busier again and and maybe back to a point where we were in in 2018 2019 yeah so definitely a lot more during our strategy meetings we discuss about promoting local stays to working with a lot of our hotels hashtag uh, logo and working with a lot of the the offerings and also of course activating public spaces and I think this pandemic has also taught us to recognize that public space is even more of an important space to protect. More and more people are looking at outdoor activities more for our public spaces are safe, clean and also welcoming um, and like you say uh, business is open uh, in Santon, and uh, we are looking forward to gradual reco- uh, economic recovery back into the CBD. You know, we welcome anyone coming to to the space, be it they coming uh, to enjoy a, a sundowner, to a staycation, or shopping, or coming to do work uh, in the space. It's, it's definitely open to to the public. Well, Len, Jack, I think that's an upbeat note to leave it on. And I think you and I need to be having uh, some more regular catch-ups, uh, at least on a monthly basis, because I think there's so much to talk about. And, uh, you know, you're sitting right in the heart of Santon. So, uh, you know, very appropriate, call it that. So, Elaine Jack, uh, she uh, is the lady in charge of the Santon Central Management District. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Alex, for the opportunity. Connect with the Santon Times. Email editor at santantimes.co.za. So we spoke to him uh, just before lockdown kicked off, uh, which is almost a year ago. And uh, he's been heading up a hotel group that's been innovative, that has managed to stay subtle, and that has actually been on the forefront of actually championing quite a bit of an industry that has been, I suppose, decimated that a lot of people would say that has really been struggling. He is uh, Mark Wachsberger. He's the founder managing director of the Capital Hotel Group. And Mark, it's great to have you on this podcast again. Uh, As you reflect on uh, the last 12 months, what are some of the thoughts and feelings that are going through your mind right now? The last 12 months has been absolute pandemonia. Thoughts are that I'm recovering from a heart attack. But, you know, with with the hard times comes the opportunities, and that's really where we stand. Uh, opportunity presents itself in terms of property that we would have begged to get in when times were good and just couldn't. So we're feeling very blessed to have survived wave one, uh, where we actually broke even during wave one with repatriation flights and pivoting our business. Uh, wave two, not so lucky uh, with business and leisure lockdown with no booze and the like but we survived and where we're at now is we're capitalizing on you know the 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 tough times and starting to rebuild well i like that intentional or non-intentional play on words uh you've got a strong presence in santon as uh, the capital uh but there were a couple of uh, moves on the chessboard there as well that you've made in terms of some of those properties yeah i think we have been too long in santon we have too many um hotels and uh, units and rooms in Santon. And Santon is going to be hard to recover because what you've got is a supply into a business market. Santon at the end of the day is, uh, you know, people come from all over the country to do business in Santon. They come from all over in Santon. And that market is hard hit. You've got a lot of corporates that are not back at work yet. When they are back at work, you know, how much conferencing are they going to do? So we actually predict that it will recover, but it won't recover immediately and quickly. And so for us, we actually wanted to shrink in Santon. We've uh, closed and are selling the 20 West Hotel. Uh, some of our other hotels uh, are designed that if times really get tough, we don't renew our leases, meaning we, we reduce the number of stock that we have. So Santon, we're shrinking, but at the same time, in the chessboard, we're expanding in Cape Town, we're expanding in KZN, which of which uh, KZN is a strong market, and Cape Town, we're just short of rooms in Cape Town, and we're also expanding in Nelspruit, which is more resilient. Well, let's get into that. I know one of the big announcements uh, that came up in the news over the last week is uh, this. Uh, 
purchase that is described as a, a coup, <laughs> the Fairmont Zimbali. Uh, it seems like one hell of a buy. It seems like a, a real diamond to have bought on the East Coast. Uh, tell us a little bit more about this deal. Yeah, I think, you know, buying it at the price that we're buying, it seems like a coup, but it's not so obvious because can if you can imagine raising capital, raising investors, raising funds for hotel acquisitions when everyone's, you know, running for the hills, it's a really tough time uh, to raise capital and it's a really tough time to be a buyer and to have that vision and the and and I guess that uh, thought that things will get better, which we do believe that they will. Um, but it's not absolutely obvious and it's not as big of a coup as described unless it all pans out as planned. Uh, so we're either the biggest geniuses or the biggest idiots, I guess, you know, um, it's totally binary. But we think that um, this is a prized asset. You definitely can't replace it at uh, the price that we can afford to be buying it at. Um, and uh, if all goes well, we will have um, uh, one of the best hotels for families to stay at. Called It will be called the Capitals in Bali. Um, this is the existing Fairmount Hotel. Uh, 150 rooms, over five restaurants, incredible facilities from beach to pools to kids clubs uh, and a great destination for domestic leisure travel. And, and what we're seeing across the world is that people are traveling by car from their house. Uh, uh, you know, six hour drive is a palatable drive in order to have a holiday and people need holidays. And now maybe even more than before or as much as before. And they're not traveling internationally as much as they were. So we see it as quite a strong market, the domestic leisure travel market. And the capitals in Bali, 150 rooms, suites, big, very family orientated. It was great. We're going to refurbish it and make it even better. And uh, we're really looking forward to it. I, I mean, it's quite funny that we're having this conversation right now because it's literally a year ago that I was at the Zimbali attending, uh, I think, the last of what was, uh, uh, you know, the last of functions that could be hosted just before we went into a hard lockdown. And it is one of the few places in South Africa that really has that sort of resort, all-inclusive kind of feel. Are you looking to amplify that and build on that? Or are you looking to potentially sort of reposition it a little bit more? No, we're definitely amplifying on it. You know, people love the Fairmonts in Bali. I think it got a little bit run down in the last two years simply because as, you know, if you build it for 600 million rand and you have debt associated with that and costs associated with that, you know, it's very hard to then reinvest into keeping service levels high and repairs and maintenance and the like. So we're essentially recapitalizing it and rescuing it at a price that we can afford to invest in it and maintain it to the highest standard. And so uh, everything that was great, we're keeping. Everything that wasn't great, we're chucking and changing. And what wasn't great is the service levels had slipped and the repairs and maintenance had slipped. We are going to uh, amplify that. At the same time, we're taking things like the beach club and we're going to expand it and make it even better. We're taking things like the restaurant, um, uh, the main restaurant, uh, and we're going to turn that into a full Mauritius-style uh, uh, resort restaurant. And what you're going to have is families are going to come and, as you say, have this all-inclusive, safe resort lifestyle. And that doesn't exist to a large extent in South Africa. I think Sun City's done well with family resort um, Cape Town is, in my mind, short of a resort. There's, you know, there's great hotels, but there isn't that, you know, all-inclusive, uh, safe um, uh, resort like we see. You know, you know, the club meds of the world. Uh, that's what we're bringing in the five-star bracket, and really, really great for families, and great also for incentive travel. You know, when companies want to do a breakaway, a team build, a conference, and get together which we think more and more is going to happen. That's also what uh, Zimbali specializes in. Well, I'm really keen to see what you're going to do with it. Uh, any timelines on that uh, Zimbali project in terms of when you're hoping to have your first guests arrive under the new rebrand and refresh? Uh, we're aiming for 1 September. Um, we, the deal is subject to competition commission approval, which could be a little bit uh, of a delay. 
but call it one September, one October. We're going to see the news in Bali, and of course, we'll let you know about it, and so that you can also uh, advise your audience. But it's going to be something special. Yeah, I think it's going to be fantastic. And I mean, as we're as we're chatting, let's head a little bit more north and chat about your developments in Nelspruit. What have you got planned in Nelspruit? Well, Nelspruit is a hotel that we we're planning uh, pre-COVID, and what it is, it's a 150-room hotel, apartment, and conference. Uh, it'll be, in our view, the best hotel in Nelspruit. Uh, that doesn't necessarily um, mean that it's as fancy as as Zimbabwe. This is a market that is quite resilient. It's not like the same levels of oversupply of hotels that you have in Santa and Nelspruit. Uh, there hasn't been a great hotel built for many years there. And uh, yet the market into the African travel, Mozambique, Swaziland, and, and all of the businesses and industry that surrounds that part of the world uh, is who we're looking to host. Uh, what will be the true capital standard of great value, a differentiated product with our apartments for longer stays, and conferencing that will be, you know, that's something that we really pride ourselves in is when you come and conference with us, you know, it's the latest technology, brilliant rooms and venues, you know, the right kind of soundproofing and acoustics, uh, a restaurant that will probably be the best restaurant in Nelspruit. And it's just beautiful views and a beautiful area. And we're right next to the Langa Mall as well, which is the best mall in Nelspruit. And so, you know, people can go to the cinemas there and the ice rink and the games room for families. So also, again, very family orientated plus business uh, during the week. And Mark, finally, a city that you've got a good presence in already, but uh, is probably the crown jewel once again uh, in South Africa when it comes to tourism, when it comes to international travellers, which is Cape Town. And there was a story that came out that uh, you'd uh, sort of set your sights on on 15 on Orange, which is also quite an established uh, hotel. Are you able to give us a little bit more details on what's the plan there? So in Cape Town, we currently have the Capital Mirage, which is just a 70-room hotel. And it does well. In the good times, it was the top one of the top performing hotels um in in cape town and even in these bad times we've managed to pivot it and i mean cape town has been seriously hard hit we're talking about occupancies of 15 percent kind of occupancies and why it's so low is you know cape town is an international destination so there's a lot of hotels serving an international audience who obviously can't uh, arrive these days um, but yet we've managed to pivot it and we've managed to fill it quite well. And that's simply because we're a business of over 1,400 rooms, but yet we only have 70 rooms in Cape Town. So we were just undersupplied. And so we've looked to get into another hotel in Cape Town, but in the boom times of Cape Town, it booms to an international level and you can't get in. And now in these bad times, this is the opportunity now to get in and 15 on orange is an asset that we think represents everything that the capital stands for which is hotel and conference and we're going to be converting a lot of the rooms into apartments as well uh, true to the capital form to uh, take a longer stay audience as well and it's a five-star beautiful property that uh, we feel very blessed uh, to have the opportunity to uh, uh, to get in at and uh, it's one of, I would say, eight of, you know, the top hotels in Cape Town um, that, that people know already. And again, we're going to do what worked. We're going to keep what didn't work will change. But what didn't work, there was actually very little. I think it was, it was really well received by the market. Well, it's a hotel that I've also had the chance of staying at. Uh, it was a very nice location, well positioned, and also a very nice setup and a very nice structure. And I'm looking forward to seeing as well what you're going to be doing with this uh, particular space and adding the capital uh, magic to it. Uh, Mark, as you look ahead at 2021, I mean, you've really listed a whole bunch of things that you're going to be busy with. Is there anything else that you're setting your sights on in terms of achieving uh, over the next 12 months? Yeah, I think this is the start of acquisitions. Um we don't intend to uh, take our foot off the pedal there. I think that th- some of the disarray of the hotel market is actually only starting now because what, you had, what happened was the banks supported hotels through COVID. And only now, when we'll start getting out of COVID, will the, will bank, will the banks start putting their foot down and saying, guys, you, know, you need to repay on your loans. 
So we'll see more distress in the hotel sector and more recapitalization needed. And we stand ready to use the bad times to grow and to save the jobs associated with it, um, which is you know, always a, a big intention. Tourism is one of the biggest job creators and uh, we wanna get tourism back on track in South Africa. Well, Mark, I think that's an upbeat note uh, to uh, end our conversation on today. That's uh, Mark Wachsberger, founder and managing director of the Capital Hotel Group. Mark, thanks so much for making the time to chat to us. Thanks, Alexander. From Santin to the world, this is the Santin Times Podcast. So one of those places you want to go to if you're in Santon, it's a, it's an institution, uh, especially if you're doing brunch or breakfast, is Tasha's. Uh, there's one in Nelson Mandela Square. I think that must be one of the flagship uh, Tasha's cafes. Uh, they've got a flamingo room. If you want to really treat yourself, you can go try that out. But there's quite a few in Tasha's. I mean, if you're a little bit more, um, you know, if you've got a really fancy car, you, you want to go to the Morningside one because that's the one where you can park right outside. People will see you. You can walk straight up and also a fantastic uh, uh, store that. There's one uh, which is the original one, which is an Athol. So Santa has just got a, an array of Tashas, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by the founder and CEO of Tashas, Natasha Sidiris. Natasha, great to have you on the, the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Well, you've had a, a really interesting year, and I think as you reflect back on it, what kind of feelings and thoughts are going through your mind when you think about the last 12 months? Well, I mean, obviously COVID is forefront, um, and at the same time, I managed to buy my business back. So uh, a very stressful year, but as well as quite a positive year for me. And I am extremely proud of the way my team and I um, and my franchisees and partners uh, actually handled the crisis. I think we did pretty well uh, rallying together going into it and and we are slowly coming out of it. So I think mixed emotions, um, you know, a, a little bit of sadness uh, and as well as a bit of elation. Now, you mentioned you, you bought back your business. I mean, is uh, was that a great move for you, uh, if you look back on that now? Yeah, I think a really good move. Um, you know, I had a great partnership with Famous Brands. In particular, I had an unbelievable relationship with Kevin Hedewick while he was at the helm. And then, of course, Darren Healy became uh, a very close friend. We worked well together, uh, but I always wanted to buy my birthright back. You know, it is named after me, my brother and I have built this business for the last 16 years. Tasha's is, will be 16 years old in September. Wow. Uh, so the last couple of years, we've been trying to buy the business back and, and we eventually managed to conclude a deal. So good. I mean, your original store, I mentioned it uh, started off in Athol here, right here in Santon. I mean, do you get a chance to come back to the store regularly and uh, and kind of see well, where it all started? Well, sadly, sadly, Athol has closed, not because of us, but the mall is being demolished it is uh run and owned by the prc and they've got plans to redevelop uh, the mall but we had been there for a very long time and despite everything that had gone around in the mall uh you know we were still busy and very sad to close but we were actually forced to close um they're gonna knock that mall down i think it'll reopen in 2023 and we'll most certainly reopen with them well, oh, I, hope, I hope that the spirit of Tasha's, oh, where it all started, stays in that building, uh, even if it gets redeveloped. Uh, Tasha, you've also yeah. reinvented your menu. Uh, you've re- launched a, a whole bunch of new dishes. Tell us a little bit more about that. So we try and do men- menu innovation. In fact, we do do menu innovation on the classic menu uh, at least once a year, sometimes twice. Um, and then, of course, we've got the signature menus in each location, and those also change once a year. So it means that customers get... You know, something to look forward to twice twice a year, really, uh, on the menu. Um, we had shrunk our menu post-COVID, uh, and we did that purposefully to help our franchisees um, just to, to lessen the shopping baskets. And, and now that we're slowly coming out of that and, and, and um, we're seeing trade picking up, we thought we'd give customers a couple of new dishes. Very vegetarian-focused. I think people are trying to eat a lot healthier. Tasha's has always been healthy. All the food's made on order, and there's always been a big lean towards you know making the food um, as healthy as possible but these dishes were quite focused on 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 vegetarian dishes which of course you can then add your protein um so in each section we've given we've given people a new dish and i'm very excited about them we launched them i think about a week ago um and and people are raving so they're really good well, I mean, it's it would be hard to beat some of the stuff you've already got on the menu. I know I've got my personal favorites, but but what are some of your personal favorites on the menu? Wow, that's a difficult question. So I love uh, the Parmesan couscous chicken. That'll never come off the menu. 
think about another one, the Dr. Pawpaw, which I resisted putting on the menu because I said to everyone, listen, people can buy Pawpaw and slice it in half and put yogurt on in the comfort of their own homes. The Savage Chicken Pasta, named after my brother, decadent and delicious. And I'd say in terms of our salad, you talk about people's favorites. When we try and take some stuff off the menu, just because we look at sales mix, people have a fit. So the Texas salad had been on the menu for years. We decided to take it off and see what the reaction was. And we almost had riots outside the shop. So we put it back on. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some stuff that's been on the menu since day one. Tasha, you've got a lot of uh, personal stories behind a lot of the dishes. Do you find that that's a big motivator for a lot of the meals that you put together, that it's something that's either come from a friend or from a family or something that you've picked up in your travels? I, I think having uh, authenticity running through the brand is really important. And I think being able to have a connection to some of the dishes, whether it be, as you said, via travels or a friend or my mom's old cooking uh, or a French chocolate cake, you know, um, I, I think it's quite important. It does bring a level of authenticity, but also to have nostalgic uh, nostalgic dishes is really also important. I think people yearn for some nostalgia. Um, there's a lot of invention uh, happening in food, and food it really is art. Um, but I think to have a good solid menu, you have to have a certain percentage of dishes that people can identify with, and that also give them a sense of nostalgia in a way. You know, we had the Harry's Roadhouse Steak Sandwich as an example on the menu. And I'm sure that many people used to go to uh, roadhouses and roll their window down and have this beautiful steak sandwich. And we put that on the menu and it flew. It's because people can connect with it. And I think that's important. Well, listen, my medical aid might disagree, but uh, I remember one of my favorite (laughs) breakfasts was the, it was the one with the crushed um, I think it was potatoes and duck fat or something. It was named after two two boys with a little uh, sort of hamburger sort of vibe oh. going. Uh, I don't know if it was Rodney and Simon's. Uh, and yes, yes, Luke. My best friend's two sons. Actually, the story behind that was, I shouldn't be saying this on air, but I had a, a terrible hangover, went to go and visit my friends and the little kids were cooking in the kitchen. I said, okay, make me something. And they put together this unbelievable breakfast, which is those two little breakfast rolls with bacon and egg and the rockets and, and those crushed baby potatoes in the in the fat. Definitely a, a great, Alex, great breakfast. So, yeah, I mean, that is one of my absolute favorite breakfasts. Uh, uh, what, yeah. are some of the, what are some of the meals that you find people asking for time and time again? Sure. That's such a difficult one. Uh, our butternut salad that people absolutely love. Um, and I, but I do options on the menu. People are really taking care of themselves and their bodies. And that's why with these six new dishes that we put on the menu uh, and, the, and, and the smoothies that we put on the back of the menu, on the drinks uh, offering, we really try to focus on, on health being, being, being part of it. Well, you've moved Tasha's into different markets, so it's not just sort of South Africa who's been able to enjoy some of your meals. You've gone into the Middle East as well. Do you find that the brand and its offering translates equally into those territories, or are you finding that you're having to change uh, a lot of the, the, the menu items? No, I mean, that's actually quite a good question. We had grappled with whether we should be trying to cater more to the Middle East palate, and we actually decided not to do that. It's like... I suppose going to Greece and trying to teach a Greek person how to how to cook Greek food. So we just stuck to our original format and and decided that um, we would go with Tasha's original as it is, and it's and it's worked. Um, uh, again, I think that's part of the authenticity. You know, it's just not trying to adapt too much. Um, I also think there's a danger in in restaurant trying to be all things to all people. So we certainly didn't go to the Middle East and say we were start going to start doing. A whole range of Middle Eastern food, because that would have felt inauthentic. A- absolutely, and I mean, no, I suppose that's a very wise. It's, not, wi- it's it, not a game. It's a very wise move. I, I, I would probably say. And do you find that a lot of the support also comes from uh, South African expats that are finding themselves in those territories and saying, "Listen, you know, I miss a slice of home. Let me go uh, pull in for a coffee and uh, maybe the salmon scrambler." We have a lot of South Africans who frequent our stores, um, especially in the more expat areas. I'd say probably. 50-50 split between expats and, and a lot of those being South Africans. And we have a very, very great local following. The Emiratis uh, love our brand, come from South Africa. They absolutely uh, love it. I mean, we've been there for six six years, so it's, it's, it's become a household brand there. Tasha, if you had a choice to open the store in, in any other country, is there any dream country that you've always wanted to take the Tasha's brand to? Global, everywhere. 
anywhere and everywhere. No, uh, listen, we, 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 we'd love to be in the UK. It is a very tough market. Everywhere, anywhere and everywhere. No, no, I think, you know, we look at a couple of places in Europe. I'd love to open one in Paris. Uh, London, certainly a market that, that we'd love to be in. Uh, tough, tough barriers to entry for the UK market. Very, very difficult. But certainly, I think for us, our big focus now is the Middle East. We, we, I think given where the world is at the moment and all of the uncertainty around this pandemic, I also think it's important to focus. So when we're looking at our South African stores, we're saying uh, which stores are still in unbelievable locations and which stores maybe do we want to sort of relocate? Which stores do we need to renovate? Uh, we spend a lot of money on our interiors. As you know, interiors are a big part of our success. So we're renovating Hyde Park. We're renovating Bedview. We've just finished renovating Melrose and Nickelway. So just keeping the stores looking fresh. And then, for example, Athol Square saying, okay, well, that one's shut down now. Uh, and where do, we, where do we move it to? Um, but really just consolidating South Africa and then focusing on the Middle East. Well, I mean, you've touched on it now. Uh, any, any other sort of plans in the pipeline for, for 2021? Now, what's your outlook for the rest of the year? Okay, so in South Africa, we've just launched this new menu. We will be launching new signature dishes towards the end of the year. So September, October, that means every location gets a couple of extra dishes on their signature menu. Uh, a massive renovation at Hyde Park. And when I say massive, I mean massive, a complete reimagining of the space uh, with a food emporium component to it. So beautiful breads, unbelievable ice creams, a massive retail section, you'll be able to come and shop flowers, uh, you name it, you'll be able to come and get it at the store. Um, then we're renovating Pet Review, which is my second oldest store. Uh, and I've been in that shopping center for 20 years because it used to be a Nino's, which I'd owned. Uh, unbelievable landlady there. And we are, 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 are renovating that store. Uh, we're moving into new offices, which is, is significant for us because post our, our, us buying our famous brands, we needed to find a new home. We're going to Beechwood Gardens. Um, and then uh, just just focusing on consolidation in in the Middle East, and that's it. Well, Natasha, I think that sounds like quite a menu, talking about menus of things that you need to get done in 2021. And I really appreciate you making the time to chat to us thank today. You. She's the founder and CEO of Tasha's, uh, Natasha Sidiris. Thank you so much. And I hope I get to chat to you again later this year. Alex, thank you so much. Eh? Thank you. From Santin to the world, this is the Santin Times Podcast. Right, that wraps up another episode of the Santin Times Podcast. As always, if you want to get in touch, email editor at santantimes.co.za. You can also connect with us on social media at Santin Times and uh, watch out for their blog. If you're a business, you're listening to this, you want to get some exposure in Santin, don't forget you can be on this podcast. We've got some great options for you. Also, the new blog is going to be fantastic. You're going to want to be on there. And uh, once again, if you just drop me an email, editor at santantimes.ca.ca, I'll put you in touch with the right people. Don't forget, you can subscribe, share and leave a review or rating of this podcast. Thank you to my guests on this week's episode. We've got a new month coming up. Easter is around the corner. Please be safe. I know we're talking about a third wave for South Africa when it comes to COVID-19. So, you know, don't let your guard down. Stay vigilant. Let's go out there and make the best of this next quarter. Thank you for listening. And let's connect again next week.